Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Man, great to be here today. I'm Bobby Smith. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are wrapping up a series today on the book of Ruth, Redemption Story. And we've been involved in this for the last four weeks. And it was Monday, honestly, when I kind of came full circle and I realized why I love the book of Ruth so much. And I'm just going to ask it this way. How many people love a good comeback story or a good, one of those stories where rags to riches? Everybody, just about everybody loves those stories, right? Um, a couple years ago, we loved it when Tiger came back and Tiger was like, still to this day, he's the needle. There's, it's not moving the needle. He is the needle. And so we love that. And I was, I was reading about, and I, how many people have ever heard of a guy named Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Anybody heard of him? Just one or two people here. So before Dwayne became the rock, you know, when he was all, it's before he was all storyrooted up and tatted up and all that. I didn't say that, did I? Did he was stir? Um, he was a football player. He wasn't that good, but he, he made it to, his, his dream was to make it to the NFL. That was his whole goal, to make it to the NFL. But he ended up playing for a Canadian football league uh, team called the Stampeders. And he played there for a little while, but he didn't get very much time to show his talent. And they ended up cutting him. And when they cut him, he moved from Canada back to Tampa, Florida with $7 in his pocket, $7. Can you imagine doing that? Like, that is poverty. I mean, that's, 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 that's as bad as it could possibly get, so $7. And he decided at that moment that he was going to reinvent himself, and he was going to reinvent himself into this WWE champion. And now we look at him, he's in movies, he's in commercials. I mean, everywhere you go, you see the rock. You see the arms, you see the tats. I mean, it's amazing. But not only that, now he's worth 350 million dollars. That's a million dollars. That's a lot of money, right? He reinvented himself. It's a, it's a comeback story. And that's why I like Ruth so much because the book of Ruth is about a woman that literally is living in a barren land. She is, she's kind of taken from her place of Bethlehem and moved to Moab. And she, when she gets there, she, 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 uh, she loses her husband, Elimelech. She loses her two sons. She's kind of over top of making sure that her, her daughter-in-laws are taken care of. But she says, listen, I, I was once better. I was full over here, and now I'm empty. But along the way, she, she made a friend, Naomi, um, and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. And you remember what, you know, she tried to get Ruth to go back and tried to get uh, Orpah to go back. But in that, there was, a, you know, one of the most favorite, it's one of my favorite passages. It says this, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. We all long for that. We all long to have those relationships in our lives of people that say that. And so they get back on this, this road to Bethlehem. And in the process of that, she, she shakes her fist at God. She's mad at God because she feels like she has lost everything. She's living in this moment. Chapter two, we find they start to wander back and they're back and they realize that there's a, there's a huge harvest happening. That the famine is over. And somehow or another in this process, Naomi and Ruth returned to this place called Bethlehem, but they were desperate and they were poor. But Ruth took the initiative to make her situation better. And what she did is she started working in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz, as we're going to find out, or we've talked about before, it was the, the next of kin or one of the next of kin. It was a kinsman redeemer that was actually the ability to buy that person's property and make sure that they got out of poverty. It was 3,000 years ago's way of, of social security or, or some type of, uh, you know, like life insurance that the families would be taking care of a de- in a situation of a death. And so what happened was Boaz gives special treatment to this woman named Ruth. Uh, here's what I think about Ruth. 
I think somehow or another Boaz had the hots for Ruth. Like his heart was pattering every time he saw her when she was working and all that kind of stuff. And there was a special place. And we're going to find in chapter three, as we looked at last week, Boaz was called that kinsman redeemer. And so Naomi devises a plan to get Get, get, her to, get her to be noticed. And she said, this is what he said. And it, it reminded me, like, I think I said it last week. Uh, if you've ever heard of Reba McIntyre's song, Fancy, it reminds me of that song because like basically she says, go get your best dress on, go get, get, go get smelling good, p- put some perfume on, put some CK whatever on there, spritz it around, get your hair all made up, and then go lay down at the feet of Boaz and watch what happens. Now, right away we think, wow, that's pretty sexual. It, it's not sexual at all. It's actually symbolic. What she was saying was that she wanted him to be the kinsman redeemer. She wanted to to marry this man. She wanted him to take care of her the rest of the life. She was recognizing him as a special in a special place in her life. And so this was going on. It was the her motivation was to be married. And the the catch was this: there was somebody else closer in that family lineage. There was actually the next of kin. And so that kind of gets us to where we're at right now. But last week, I intentionally left the passive scripture out or didn't talk very much about it because I knew this was going to be the setup for this week because it's so important that we understand exactly what's going on here. Ruth chapter three, verse 15, I think is a, is a kind of a revealing, it's a pivotal verse in this whole passage. This is what it says. It says, then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. And then here's the pivotal verse. Then he returned to town. Now, unless you read a little bit into it, you just go, okay, then he returned to town. But remember, this was in the middle of the harvest. His, all his money was right here. What this showed everybody was how important the situation was to Boaz, that he didn't want to leave Ruth and Naomi stranded, that he was going to take care. And he made a promise. Remember, he said, he will not wait until this, all, this whole thing's over. He will not sleep. He will not rest. He will make sure that this is atoned for. He will make sure that somebody will take care of you. That, to me says what kind of character Boaz has. That, that's the character that we want. As, as, a, as a husband, I want to be to my spouse. As, if you're a wife, that's the kind of guy you want to be your husband. If you're in a relationship, that's what you should ask for out of that person. They would be like instant, like right there all the time, which gets us to chapter four. And I'm telling you, it's going to take an amazing twist today. So Ruth chapter four, verse one, if you have a Bible, ask you to open. If not, it's going to be on the side screens. It says this, Boaz went to the town And he took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer, he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. Now I read that. I'm going to stop right there because this is pretty important. Boaz is a very intentional person. And Boaz knew exactly what was going on. I watch, anybody watch those shows about the mafia? Anybody watch shows, the mafia? I love hearing the story about how they intentionally planned a hit, that they were at the right place at the right. Anybody else besides me? Isn't that, that's awful, isn't it? For a pastor to be watching mafia stuff, but I love it. Like I love watching, I love watching how they, they plan out this and they go down to the basement and all those people are waiting for them and, ta, 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 and all that stuff. That's kind of what Boaz is doing. Boaz knows he's walking through the, through the streets. Boaz had probably set this whole thing up because he, this, this is how he rolls. He, he's intentional in everything else. So he took a seat there just, just then, just by chance, the family redeemer and should come by. So Boaz called, Boaz called to come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit and witness. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know, Naomi, who came back from Moab, she is selling the land that belonged to her relative Elimelech, her husband, 
I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right now because I am the next in line to redeem it after you. The, re- the, the man replied, and I love this, all right, I'll redeem it. Now, do you, do you all see, like, he's like, he's setting it up. Like, here's this really good opportunity for you. You're gonna get some land and you're gonna get some money out of this. And it sounds like a salesman, doesn't it? And guess what? It is. Because he's getting ready to sell him something. He discussed the redemption. He discussed it in public for a main reason. He wanted everybody to be around so they can kind of say, okay, yep, we get it. This is what happened. He did it this way. He did it the right way where it's all set up. And Boaz makes it seem like a simple transition. He says, or transaction, he says, buy some land, help a family out. And he goes, yeah, sure, why not? And then Boaz, this is what I love about him, lets him know what he's really getting into. Now watch this, verse five. Then Boaz told him, of course, can y'all see this? Of course, if you do it this way, not so good for you. He says, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth. Now just stop right there. If that next comma, it's not a big issue. It's Ruth, right? It's just Ruth. But then he says this, he goes, the Moabite widow. Now think of who he is. He's in Bethlehem. He's a descendant of the nation of Israel. He believes in God. And the Moabites were pagans. They were just the opposite. And all of a sudden, this guy starts scratching his head and he starts going, wait a second, that's not what I'm, I I didn't buy into, like this is not what I I didn't pay, I, I didn't sign up for this right here. And he says that, We should have children who marry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Now, now he's he's going, instead of a good land and a good price, he goes, now I gotta get married. I'm responsible for a new family, somebody that's outside my faith. And watch what he says. He said, then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it now. Now in those days, it was the custom of Israelite for anyone transferring the right of purchase. Now watch this. this. Remember I said last week, there's 3,000-year-old stories with 3,000-year-old customs. This is one of them. This, doesn't, this sounds really cold. This sounds like this girl's on the auction block, and then they do something really real, really weird right here. And it says, Israel, for, for the right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This is how they signed contracts back then. They removed their shoe, and they gave it to the other person. The other person, that's nasty. I'm just, I don't know what they've been walking in, but I imagine there's some camel poop in there, and And all of a sudden they're handing, but this is what they did 3,000 years ago. I'm glad we don't do this now when we buy a house. Here's your shoe, Bobby. They publicly validated a transaction. See how my my, my, mind thinks? See, like sometimes you're like, I've got, my my issue's got babies up here. Like it's going crazy up here. And he says, okay, so verse eight, let's go to verse eight. So the other family redeemer drew, drew off a sandal and said to Boaz, you buy the land. And then Boaz said to the elders, and the crowd standing around, you are the witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Amimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with this land, I have acquired Ruth the Moabite widow of Malan to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and inherit the family property here in this hometown. You are all witnesses. He had it all lined up. He knew what was going to happen at that moment. Now watch verse 11. The elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses to this. Now, this next little part here, I just want to push pause because in a few minutes, we're going to sing a song at the very end of service, and it's called The Blessing. Some of you know the song. It's, a, it's an amazing, powerful song. And it comes from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. And it's interesting to me because what's going to happen right here is basically these elders of this, this church or this, this, this temple, they're going to pray blessings over. And this is something that we should be probably 
praying over people around us, our families. These are things that we should be praying on a daily basis, that God would do those things. And it's not just in the book of Numbers that we see blessings. It's here. It says, watch this. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you the descendants by the young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez and the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When she slept with her, or when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Y'all, there's a couple things here. Just, Just follow with me on this. In chapter one, do you remember how bitter she was? Do you remember how bad it was? In chapter one, we see death. We see destruction. We see three people die. We see a famine. We see these, these women in this land of Moab wanting to have, have something from God. But in chapter four, something changes. Now they're in the lands of blessings. Did y'all see that? Now in chapter one, what we see is we see root, bitterness and doubt and, and self-pity. In chapter four, we see her overflowing with joy. In chapter one, what we see is her life was finished. Remember, she raised her hand to God and said, he raised his hand against me. I was once full and now I'm empty. And now she's going, oh my gosh. Can I say something to this faith community? Whether watch it online, you're over in Sherwood, you're in our atrium. There's lots of people that are in this room. There's watching people, they feel like they're in chapter one. They feel like their life is bitter and resentful and they have all these problems and there's sickness and there's anger and there's all these problems over here. You're in chapter one and it's easy to be in chapter one, isn't it? It's easy to be in this place where you don't see a harvest, where you're still in mobile, you see no hope. And I'm telling you, chapter four is coming, chapter five. God is in the process of right now writing chapter four in a lot of our lives, isn't he? And it's because of the fact that, that she turned her face and she got on that road to Bethlehem. And that's the simple truth right there. When we point our face to God, regardless if we're in chapter one or chapter two or chapter three, he's going to get us to chapter four because that's the God that we serve. All through our lives, all through scripture, there's stories of chapter ones. There's chapter ones, there's chapter ones, but God ultimately gets these people to chapter four. And here's the really sad truth. I sit with people all the time that feel like their life's over. That it's the end. They're going through a divorce or there was an affair or there was an addiction or there's a struggle with cancer or whatever it is. They feel like it's absolutely over. There's no hope. They'll never get out of it. And I can't tell you how many times that I've said, you're in chapter one, don't give up. Chapter four is coming because that's the God that I serve. He's a God that still provides. I love what Claire Booth Lou says. There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. There's no situation. There's no situation that God can't do something. I want you to get three truths today that I think are vitally important. That he is, first and foremost, still a God that provides for his people. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or imagine. That's the kind of God we have. Watch verse 14. Then the woman in the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord, who now has provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is a son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. I want to read verse 14 in the NIV because I love, there's a word in here. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to God who this day has not left you what? Without. You know what I found? Humans, we feel like we're without all the time, don't we? 
We feel like we're without the health that we need to do whatever God's called us to do. We feel like we're without the money that we need to accomplish whatever that task is. We feel like we're without a job that's gonna take us to the next level. We're without the spouse that we want. We're without the relationship we want. We just live in the land of without. That was, that was those two women when they were still living in Moab. They were living in the land of without. But now all of a sudden we, we see them in chapter four. They're living in the land of plenty and harvest. And all of a sudden God's doing good. Things. God's providing for them. I don't know. I don't know where you're living right now. And maybe you've even used the words, I feel like I'm without, and you insert whatever that is. Naomi couldn't see the blessings coming, but they were coming. She couldn't see what God was going to do, but God was going to do something, wasn't he? Which leads me to the second thing. A lot of times what we think is a burden can turn into a blessing. What we think is a struggle can actually turn into something that God uses. So many times the things that are in our lives are setups, not setbacks. If we would just look at them through the eyes of God, what would happen if we looked at a situation like that. I love verse 15 because it says, may he restore your youth and care for you in old age for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. You know what she's saying right there? You could have had some children from these seven sons, but this circumstance and situation has turned out for you to have the best thing ever. You have this amazing son and we're gonna see in a minute why this son is so amazing or this, this child is so amazing. But that's not the same. That's not the same woman that was in chapter one, is it? Listen, listen what? She thought that those daughter-in-laws were burdens to her. This is what she said. Ruth chapter one, verse 12. No, my daughters, return to your parents for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. You see what she's saying right there? These kids are, these two, they're just burdens. Everything in life is a burden. Now she's about to have a child in her life. And what happened? Naomi actually turned out to be a blessing, didn't she? Naomi actually turned out to be a blessing to the people around her. There, there, there's, there's some things in our lives today, my life, your life today, that we look at as burdens. Nobody, just me. Maybe God wants to use them as a blessing. This past Tuesday night, I had a privilege to go down to our Sherwood campus and I spoke to some of our key leaders down there. And there's a story that's found in Numbers chapter 26. And I don't know why I shared it because we were talking about ministry and everything. And there was somebody that just said something about like, we need to have this ministry here. And I was reminded of a story. Maybe you guys remember this. Moses has the children of Israel out um, in the desert and they're being bit by serpents and they're being eaten and they're, they're dying. They're by the thousands, body counts in thousands at this point. And God tells Moses to do something, which seems a little peculiar when it happens. You guys remember the story? It, he says, take uh, some gold and fashion a serpent's head out of, out of gold and put it on the top of the staff. The staff represented anointing and power. And so here's what's interesting to me. The thing that was killing them was what? Serpents, right? It was these, and, and, and God's telling them to make a serpent for them to look at. And it dawned on me so many times in our lives, the very thing that we think is gonna bring death is actually gonna bring life. And God uses that thing. He turns our misery into ministry. He, he, he takes those things that are burdens and turns them into blessings. But so many times what we do, instead of looking at them the way, the, the, the way God wants to and the perspective that God has, we look at them as a problem and a struggle and a setback. 
And what, what would happen if we looked at those certain things, a sickness, a, maybe a job loss, maybe a problem, maybe a struggle? I've been sharing with you over the last couple of weeks, a good friend of mine um, that has uh, had a daughter that was sick. She, w- she was not doing good. And over the last couple of weeks, we've watched miracle after miracle after miracle. And he sent me a text yesterday or Friday. And he just said, I can't wait till she t- shares her testimony. She has got a story to tell. And see, that's what God wants to do with our, with our burdens. He wants to turn them into blessings. And then he wants them to, to, to use them. So, so his name is made famous in our, in our world that we live in. He takes our, our burdens and turns them into blessings. And leads to the third thing. And this is, if you don't hear anything else, hear this today. What would happen if we start to see the big picture? What would happen if we really saw things from God's perspective? How would that change us? Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, now now at last Naomi has a son again and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of who? Whoa, do you mean through this person that was bitter, that, that the lineage goes straight through. Do you, y'all remember David? He was, he was a little boy tending sheep. And he gets, a, he gets a phone call one day that the nation of Israel is being destroyed by this giant. And he brings them some cheese and some crackers and some fig jam. He brings the charcuterie tray to him. And he says, here you go, guys. Here you go. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Who is that uncircumcised Philistine to stand against the army of God? Who do you think you are? And he raises up and he rises up. That's the same David that kills Goliath. That's the same David that writes the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That's the same one that writes the 51st Psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit. We read it all the time. Don't cast me away from your presence. He wrote most of the Psalms. It's the same David and it gets better. Because if you read the Bible a little bit, especially if you've ever read the book of Matthew, what you learn is David, generations later, had a great, 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 great granddaughter, a little peasant girl that was visited by an angel and was told that she was going to have and carry the son of God. You mean through this resentful, bitter woman, is the lineage of the Savior of the world. That's big picture right there. I don't care how you look at it. I don't care how you want to spin it. That's, that's God's design plan if we would look at the big picture. And see, that big picture is not just for you. It's for your kids, and it's for your kids' kids, and your kids' kids' kids. It's for generations to come. If we would just break the things that limit us. And for the girls, they had to break Moab. They had to get on that road to Bethlehem. They had to crest that hill and see that the barley crop was ready. They had to accept their place and they had to follow God's design plan. But they had to break what was back there. You can't, you can't go into Bethlehem still looking back at Moab. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do, and I I know this is probably so politically incorrect now, but I used to like going to the circus. Anybody anybody ever gone to a circus? 
you know, with all the animals and the tigers. And I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the ringleader. I would sit in my house and don't laugh at me. It's not funny. But my favorites, maybe, maybe my favorites were the elephants. I used to love watching the elephants. And they would come to our little town and they would set up a, a circus tent and they would have all these little things going on outside. But I would walk outside to where they were training the elephants and I was, I was blown away. I don't know if you know this. From the time they're little, they put a shackle on their leg and a small piece of rope and they just tether it to a little small stake in the ground. Now, that little, that little baby elephant probably can't snatch that stake. But what amazed me is they had these thousands upon thousands upon pounds of elephant, same shackle, same little small rope, same little peg. I remember going one day, I said, why, why does that, I mean, that big elephant could snatch that thing out like that. And I remember the guy telling me that was working with the elephants, he goes, they're trained, they're cultured, that they know their limitations, the limitations of that little small rope. And all their life, they live with that limitation of that little small rope, that's it. They just walk in circles all day long just because the limitations are small. That's God's people sometimes. We have bought into a lie that we have these little limitations and that God can't do anything else. That we'll always just live in Moab, we'll always just live in despair, we'll always just live over here. And God goes, I want you to snatch that thing up and I want you to get to Bethlehem where blessings will flow out, where I want to do the things that I'm John 10, 10 says like this, I came to give you life and life to the fullest on this side of eternity and the other side of eternity. But so many times we're living life over here in Moab. All this past week, I've been just thinking, what would happen if, what, what would happen if our church culture, as, as a church culture, that we just got up from Moab and started walking to Bethlehem? How God could bless us? What could he do? What can he do in our futures? What can he do with our lineage? What can he do with our kids, kids, kids? If we just allowed God to do what he wanted to do in our life, what would it look like? I want to do something real quick. I want you all to stand up with me. In a minute, we're going to be led in a song by Justin and the team. And it's that song, we've sang it before from Numbers chapter six. It's called The Blessing. And this is what I want to do. I just don't want to sing words of a song today, right? Can we, we, we get in habits of just singing words of a song? Like that, that was a sweet song. That was good. And we go home and we'll Facebook it. And we're like, that song really spoke. Can, can we somehow or another engage in this song today? Can, can we allow God to speak with his living word? Allow the Holy Spirit to breathe in us through the words of this song? Where we would extend our hands even maybe and go, God, I received this blessing today. I received this. I am tired because I would almost guarantee a lot of us in this room have been living in Moab for a long time. And we know, we know God wants to do something with us. We know God wants to move in our lives. We know God wants to move us in this direction, but Moab is really, really, really comfortable. In the Old Testament, there's a story and I'm gonna share it actually, I think in a couple of weeks, but it's a, it's a story when Pharaoh is, is, is all the plagues are coming and Moses walks up to Pharaoh and he goes, and he'd been living with frogs. And he says, he says, I'll get rid of the frogs whenever you want me to get rid of them. Tell me when you want me. He goes, tomorrow, tomorrow. Isn't that so much like us? We'll just deal with it tomorrow. God says, no, I want you to be walking and living in the land of promises right now, not tomorrow. What would happen if we just faced our, 
our, our, our, our whole body, our countenance, our spirit toward the place of Bethlehem where he wants to bless us, what would happen? So that's what I want to have happen right now. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, this is a redemption story. This is a story with lots of symbolism. Boaz is a type of Jesus who came to our rescue, who became our redeemer, who went to the cross, who died for us. So we could have life and have life to the fullest. But so many of us are still living in Moab. And what would happen today if we were determined to take the shackle off our legs and snatch that rope from the peg and move in the direction you want us to move? God, what would you do with our lives? God, that's my prayer. That that's my prayer that would happen right now as we're giving our lives over to you, as we're responding to your holy word today. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.